Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Good morning, folks, and welcome to another segment of T3. This is your host, Jose Negron, on Voice America on the Variety Channel, hosting the lead technology show, T3, today, tomorrow's technologies. Just to give you a little background for those of us for the very first time, uh, folks who like to talk about technologies and those folks who are just looking at technology at a distance, but uh, to begin that interaction between the two. Today's show is about energy now. I need more of it today. And how are we producing that energy um, today? Is it through uh, solar? Is it through gas? Is it through hydro um, combination of all three, wind power? So I have a very important guest today. Uh, he will talk about microgrids and renewable uh, energy. Uh, and I think that is something that we need to start talking about. Some of the um, difficulties, some of the challenges, uh, but also some of the expectations and bright spot that that industry is finally overcoming. And so the show will advance the technology uh, today, uh, talking about uh, activities in power uh, consumption, power production, and so forth. I really would like to talk about, as we move forward, uh, you know, uh, the rolling blackouts. uh, How do we stop that? What do we need to do? Uh, all that is very important to us, but we need to move forward in that. And, of course, today's guest, uh, I'll just start with that, is uh, uh, Dr. Travis Simpkins. I met Travis um, uh, last week. Uh, we were talking to my microgrid, so uh, Travis is a recognized expert in design, modeling, economic optimization of renewable energy systems. He currently is chief technology officer for MuGrid Analytics, which provides techno-economic analysis of energy projects to developers, financiers, utility companies, and component manufacturing using their proprietary Red Cloud Energy Optimization Platform. Prior to MuGrid, Travis was the senior engineer at the National Renewable Energy Lab. Travis has a a master's in science, PhD in electrical engineering, computer science from Massachusetts uh, Institute of Technology, MIT, and a BS in electrical engineering from applied physics from Case Western Reserve University. He's a senior member of IEEE and has published numerous uh, papers and articles on renewable energy, battery energy shortage, integrated circuits, applied optics. Uh, he resides in the, in the Rocky Mountains, and he has a wife and three beautiful children. So, Dr. Simpkins, Travis, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Jose. It's a uh, pleasure to join you. I want to uh, take the time and, and tell the audience that we had an opportunity to talk last week, and we talked a lot about uh, the various aspects of energy, energy consumption, uh, but you attended a conference last week and uh, about microgrids and other key topics. Can you tell us a little bit about that? That's right. I was at uh, the Microgrid Global Innovation Forum in Washington, D.C., and uh, yeah, it was 
very interesting, uh, you know, very interesting conference. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the big um, solution providers were there, as well as, um, uh, you know, various, uh, you know, representatives from sites that have uh, done um, microgrid projects. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting when you get a uh, crowd like that uh, together to, uh, you know, sort of catch up and hear what the, the latest is going on. And, you know, I think that, you know, probably, uh, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the, one of the, the, the solution providers announced one of their new, um, you know, almost a, uh, you know, it's a bit of a community microgrid, you know, partnership between the utility and the, uh, um, and the, uh, the host site and the provider. And I think that that's, you know, sort of one of the hot areas that uh, we're going to hear more about going forward. So how many folks attended that? Is there a buzz? Uh, is there, um, I guess my, uh, my curiosity is, was there uh, uh, a move to move faster in this energy uh, development or the, in order to solve the consumption rate? There, there was, there is, uh, there's probably about 150 people there. So, uh, um, and the number of, you know, you can often judge, you know, how, uh, what the buzz is in a particular field by what the uh, proliferation of conferences are. And there's certainly a lot of interest in microgrids right now. So, um, you know, I think that that's, it's, you know, obviously I'm biased. I work in this space, you know, it's uh, uh, near and dear to our heart, but uh, we're, uh, you know, we're pretty bullish on the sector and, you know, what the advancements that we're going to see um, over the next few years in this space. It's really an exciting time. So when I talk about power, I'm talking about generation of electricity. When, uh, Travis, when you talk about microgrids, can you define that for the audience? For sure. It's a, uh, it has been a bit of an evolving uh, uh, terminology, you know, over the last, uh, you know, over the few years. But um, generally, when most people talk about a microgrid today, they're talking about a collection of distributed energy resources so that could be wind, solar, could be CHP, it could be some diesel generation even that you have sitting at your site. And that's key is that this is it's on-site generation. And then it's paired with, you know, a particular load. And so that could be the load of a, you know, your building, your facility, your campus. Um, and so that combination of that generation and that on-site load is, you know, referred to as a microgrid. And so those assets can generally operate in parallel with the grid. And then the key is, is that they can also island themselves. And so if there's an outage of the, uh, the general utility grid, you can throw a switch essentially and isolate yourself and continue to operate um, using your on-site energy resources. Right. There's been a lot of uh, discussion, or at least my uh, discussion with uh, some of my peers, about the, uh, you know, the uh, getting off the grid, getting on the grid, island yourself, self-generating power, getting off the central grid to uh, uh, develop your own little microgrid uh, uh, environment. Uh, how do you see that evolving, and how many years are we out to actually see that? So we're we're really we are today we're we're kind of at the beginning of it. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, the, you're seeing microgrid projects um, pop up. Uh, they are uh, you know so they are happening in various um, you know communities and facilities. Uh, but uh, you know there's still there's still most of them 
you know, almost fall into the category of a pilot project. And so something's being demonstrated there. And I think that that's what's going to change over the next three to five years is right now, most microgrids, they get quite a bit of buzz. They get, and people talk about them because, you know, they're innovative and they're unique. And I think five years from now is they're going to kind of be everywhere. And so it's, um, uh, you know, we're going to have that rapid adoption um, of the technologies. And so you're going to have a much higher proliferation. And so that's, there's really kind of two things that are driving that is, you know, really the, 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 the outage mitigation and the resiliency is always a key issue. But, you know, really, you know, most of the projects today are done for cost savings. And so they uh, expect to achieve some level of cost savings versus buying all of their electricity from the grid. And then, you know, ideally they get some resiliency as a benefit to that. And so as those business models change and adapt and people have more uh, confidence in what the economics look like, I think you're going to see more and more of these systems. Yeah, that's been a goal for many years now. Uh, I know I started working at DARPA for uh, in 2001, and I know they've been trying to get more and more into microgrids, get off the grid, get off the decentralization, and power up your own little microcosmic uh, grid, where each home basically becomes its own power generation. So I, I see that more and more. Uh, based on your uh, industry and what you've done in the past, do you see that increase? I mean, from five years ago to the day? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, five years ago, really five years ago, it was, uh, it was very much like you say, uh, it was a uh, researchy, so DARPA was involved. Then you had the Department of Defense wanting to do microgrids at, their, uh, at various military bases for resiliency aspects. And so that's really, you know, where I saw this five years ago coming, you know, from my time at the, the National Renewable Energy Lab, where I worked on a variety of those projects. And now we're following a typical trajectory where the commercial sector wants to get involved. Um, because, you know, frankly, these, many of these projects are bankable um, or they're on the verge of bankability. And so it's, you know, the, the commercial side is getting involved. The, um, you know, then, you know, really where this is probably going to drive next is, like you mentioned, down to the residential level. And so, you know, today you're just starting to see the beginnings of, uh, you know, with Tesla being, having power walls that are, that are, that are available to the, uh, the residential side to the consumer. But, you know, as, as the proliferation of solar uh, rift on residential markets and the energy storage side, I think you're going to see more of it there as well. Are the same, I guess, big businesses on that, or as the turf between the various business and the entrepreneurs and the innovators coming out a little bit more because it's a new field and it's constantly evolving? What do you see? It's for sure uh, constantly evolving. Um, six months is a very long time in this sector right now. Um, and so it's, you know, I think that there's a, uh, there, it, people are, you know, positioning and, and, and organizations are positioning for what their role is out there. You know, are, in, are they solution providers? Are they, battery man, are they battery manufacturers? Are they providing software and controls? You know, are they providing, you know, modeling um, and optimization? Um, you, know, what, uh, you know, what are the different roles and what are the different opportunities that are available in this space? 
And so it's a bit confusing right now at times for the end user and that, you know, be that, um, you know, commercial entities uh, right down to residential to understand the value chain and who is providing what. And our experience has been is that, you know, a lot of the big solution providers have to, in some ways, they're, they have to take on, you know, a lot of different hats to be able to get projects in the ground. And I think what you may see going forward is, is that there's, uh, you know, they don't necessarily, for example, solution providers may not necessarily want to be the financiers, but to get the project going, they really have to almost be the developer at the same time. And so I think as, right. as the space rings out, you'll see more and more um, differentiation in that, uh, in that regard. I see new players enter the that field where where you're at, and uh, and of course the older players uh, have bowed out a little bit, but uh, I, I've heard of a few of them trying to come back. It is uh, uh, I hate to say daunting because uh, uh, any type of new technology is always a challenge to get it out to market and then make it uh, a product that can deliver to the customer. So that's always a challenge in your particular job and your particular company, when you use Red Cloud Energy Optimized Platform, what are you looking for? What do you advise to customers? Our role in this is really uh, to be able to, uh, um, uh, you know, provide investment-grade bankable analysis to our customers. And so today, that's what, uh, you know, that's really where we fit in. Um, there's a lot of uh, commercial organizations that want to get into this space. Uh, that want to do projects and, you know, they don't, if you, there's a, they're very interested in, you know, what is the best bang for their buck and how are they going to make or save money if they do these projects. And so we do a lot of analysis that shows, you know, this is what you can do. This is what the technology will bring to you. These are the dollar savings that you will achieve. Um, and, you know, and then be able to evaluate what different technologies that would be available to do that are. And so we're technology agnostic. You know, we don't have ties to any particular uh, hardware vendor or, uh, you know, or microgrid controller software. And so we can really be that, um, you know, that third-party uh, independent verification and analysis right now that, uh, you know, that you can turn to so that you are assured that you will that you that your projects that you're getting an honest look at what they're going to uh, to provide. That's perfect because as I look throughout the uh, landscape and the folks who are doing the uh, microgrids and as you said, it's uh, site generation power uh, to uh, sustain a specific load uh, in a, through a variety of means. The ability to do that has been more and more successful. I, I don't hear the horror stories as you did five years ago. So the technology itself is getting better, and the user itself is getting smarter. So do you see that uh, moving forward very rapidly? You said three to five years, I think, is if I remember correctly. You're exactly right. This space is maturing rapidly. Um, you know, I started at the Renewable Energy Lab in, in uh, early in 2010. And just at the time, really, you know, there wasn't much talk about microgrids at all. It was really solar was coming of age. And I don't know, you know, solar at the time was somewhere around $7 a watt. And, um, 
And so you really couldn't, you know, it was, it was a bit of a niche, you know, the guy, the places that were doing it almost were doing it as, as demonstrations, um, if they were doing it at all. And so, um, you know, now fast forward, you know, to where we are here today and, you know, you're down around, you know, off, it depends who you ask, but, you know, probably under $2 a watt for solar, maybe even significantly under that, uh, in certain places. Um, and so, you know, seeing, and, and so as you, as you've seen this technology, you know, go down the price curve, you know, we've, uh, we've also had a lot more deployment, of course. And so it's almost been an exponential uh, growth rate. And of course, as you do more and more projects, the industry as a whole gets smarter about this. And so, you know, I tend to say that, uh, you know, we believe in, in modeling. Uh, you know, that's really where our expertise is in modeling analysis and optimization. And so when we model a project, both from the technical side or the economic side, is that by the time you build it, you know, we expect that you're going to get the performance that, we, that was in the financial model. And so that's really what drives down the cost of capital is that when financiers and investors and, the, and even the end users who in certain commercial cases might be financing their own projects, you know, have confidence that they're going to get the results that they were promised, you know, there's less risk in the project. And as you know, as being a technologist and being in, you know, in similar spaces, the less risk, the better that you can, the more projects you can do and the, and the cheaper that you can do them. Right, right. So uh, we've got about a minute left. Let me just summarize. Uh, I've been talking to uh, Dr. Travis Simpkins, uh, PhD uh, from MIT, founder and CTO of uh, MuGrid and Analytics. Uh, we've been talking about microgrids and about uh, gen- um, power generation and uh, and holding the specific load. Uh, the te- the technology has increased and it continues to increase. I want to talk about with uh, Travis when we come back from our first commercial break about some of his key projects and some of the challenges he's had. And so we'll be right back in another uh, a minute or two. Take care. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? 
the one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to today tomorrow's technologies to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to today tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com now back to our show welcome back folks to t3 the premier tech show on voice america on the variety channel our discussion today is about energy now I need more of it. Before I start, though, I was just looking at some uh, Department of Energy, um, I guess, consumption rates, and it's kind of interesting. The natural gas-fired power plants will rise about 32% in 2017, 33% in 18, 34% in 19. So the use of gas, natural gas, is continuing to rise. Uh, coal production continues to decline um, from um and it will continue to decline a little bit as we go forward. It's about a percentage or two, not, nothing significant, but it continues to decline. Wind generated uh, power is estimated to increase uh, as we go from uh, 705,000 megawatts in 2018 to 765,000 megawatts in 2019. And what's interesting is solar power. Uh, will increase the estimated average of 209,000 megawatts per day in 2017 to 240 megawatts uh, per day in 2018, 287 megawatts in 2019. So uh, I'm always interested in how we continue to generate electricity. I did read a bullet, and I can't find it right this moment, about hydropower declining and uh, not significantly, but it is declining, and it's quite interesting. Our guest today is Dr. Travis Simpkins. Uh, he's an expert in uh, the design, modeling, economic optimization of renewable energy. I had a privilege to uh, meet Travis at, for dinner last week. We started talking about uh, energy, power consumption, microgrids. And so I want to turn it over to Travis and ask him uh, Travis, you you've been you talked about one or two of your projects. Can you describe from the beginning of that project to the end results of that project, and how do you keep your customers aware of what's happening and the investment that they made was valuable? Sure, sure. Um, you know, I think uh, you know the project that uh, we can talk about here first is actually uh, it's really interesting in the sense of the statistics that you just shared from DOE in terms of where uh, you know where the generation is uh, coming from and where it's growing. Um, you know, we uh, like I said, we're uh, you know we're really uh, technology agnostic. Um, we're happy to you know really you know we're numbers guys. We'll look at um, you know of course we'll look at solar and energy storage, but. Uh, you know, if, uh, you know, if other, you know, somewhat more conventional technologies make sense, you know, we're happy to uh, look at that too. 
And, um, you know, so one of these is a uh, very interesting project for us right now um, is actually, uh, and this is the one that I uh, presented on at the uh, Microgrid Innovation uh, Forum uh, last week in D.C., was a, uh, a indoor agricultural facility in Ohio that uh, has very significant energy loads and is looking at CHP, which is combined heat and power, um, for an on-site uh, plant to be able to uh, meet those loads. And this is a, uh, it's a really, really interesting project, um, both from, you know, the project level and also in this space of indoor agriculture. And so just, uh, you know, for your listeners, just for a second, so indoor agriculture refers to uh, growing, um, um, growing plants indoors under lights um, basically year-round. And so, uh, you know, the idea being is that, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've been, you know, in this country, in the U.S., we've been importing a lot of our uh, vegetables, uh, you know, from warm weather climates, but there's actually a move to be able to uh, grow those uh, outside of cities. Um, and so the indoor agriculture space can actually be very, very energy intensive. Um, and so, you know, being able to provide that power uh, from the grid can be a challenge, um, both, you know, technically in terms of getting the amount of uh, energy to them, as well as, you know, doing it, um, you know, cost effectively. And so anyway, this site, uh, you know, this site has a, a small greenhouse today in Ohio that they're interested in building out um, very rapidly to be able to serve this market. Um, and, you know, they basically, you know, they can't get enough power from the utility, you know, or it's very expensive. And so they wanted to consider a CHP plant on site. And so, the, you know, there's, it's a very interesting project because CHP dovetails really well with indoor agriculture. Indoor agriculture requires lots of lighting um, uh, to be able to, uh, to, for the plants to grow. It requires heat, particularly if you're in a cold weather uh, environment in the winter. It requires carbon dioxide um, for the plants to grow to stimulate plant growth. And of course, it requires water too. Well, CHP plants can provide three of those. You can make electricity with them. You can make heat. And you can actually recover CO2 from the exhaust emissions. And so three of the four factors that go into plant growth you know, come, can come from a CHP plant. And so we did the analysis for them of, you know, what does this look like? You know, how big of a plant do you need to operate? You know, what will the, what will the operating strategy look like? Um, you know, when are you going to operate this plant um, to be able to meet your on-site loads? And then there's the really, there's the other aspect of this is that you, they are, they happen to be located in PJM, which is the ISO, the independent system operator that operates the, the grid for much for basically Pennsylvania, Maryland, Ohio, um, um, and parts of some other states around there. And there's some capacity markets that they can uh, sell electricity back to. And so you've got this really, you know, this very synergistic CHP plant with the indoor ag facility, but also it can sell electricity back to the grid during times when there is, uh, you know, when there's, the yeah, peak demand events. And those tend to happen on hot summer afternoons, which is convenient because that's also when you don't need to be running the lights for your greenhouse. And so, you know, seeing these facilities, being able to take a holistic view of this and be able to capture multiple revenue streams, like I think I named five different ways there that this, uh, this CHP plant can generate revenue to, its, to the owners, um, you know, is really, really interesting. So, you know, in short, in summary, we've taken that from, you know, the feasibility stage you know, it hasn't been built yet, but it's, you know, it's progressing towards that um, uh, to, uh, to being able to, uh, you know, operate this uh, project and get it in the ground. 
Ben, can you uh, just for, uh, remind uh, CHP plant CHP that uh, the uh, can you that acronym? Can you spell it out? Yeah, it's uh, it's combined heat and power, and so just combined it's, heat. Uh, Yep, combined heat and power, and they're generally taking, um, you know, I wanted to mention in there that you can fire it with different things, but here we're talking about natural gas. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is in Ohio. They've got abundant natural gas lines crossing the state, um, and, uh, you know, that's partly why the, those DOD statistics that you were, uh, that you cited there, um, right. you know, this, this, this growth is that, you know, it's a relatively cost-effective uh, um, uh, fuel source right now. Correct, correct. And it's continuing. The natural gas industry is, uh, at least uh, the readings I've done, is continuing to grow. As you continue on, that's a very interesting uh, challenge problem because, as you said, it resolves two or three activities. One, you sell power back to the grid in the summertime when uh, when you, uh, most communities need power. So that's good. Uh, the, the um, what is it, the agricultural industry uh, is in desperate need to, uh, you know, balance itself uh, year-round because of the consumption rate. And so the ability to help that process is pretty uh, pretty interesting. In the uh, It looks like the economic uh, ties are, are moving into the owner's favor. So that should be a very interesting project as it uh, goes to fruition. As you move towards uh, uh, DOE, and you, you know, we did the initial solar uh, acreage, I'm going to say, through DOE or DOD. Has that changed over time? Uh, do you, uh, or they're still out there and just growing uh these acreage or solar farms growing out there for sure the uh the size of of uh the of of systems that you can do is 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 significantly expanding um you know there's there's a push to for solar plus storage on these large installations and uh you know, part of it is is that uh, it's a little bit like we just talked about there with that project of when you need the power, and so that's something that not everybody necessarily you know understands is that the whole uh, you know the, the the load on the grid varies uh, significantly over the course of the year, and so being able to have the power when you need it and where you need it is critical. And so building these large solar arrays um, that are, you know, they are certainly, you know, uh, uh, you know, growing in number and size um, due to economies of scale, but you're also seeing them get paired with energy storage so that you can turn that, that energy generation, which is, you know, by definition almost, it's not dispatchable. You get the electricity when the sun shines, and by pairing it with storage, now you can time shift that energy into more, um, you know, peak demand periods of the day when, uh, you know, when you really need it. That's, yeah, I can see that working very nicely in, uh, in shifting the, the energy needs uh, to a timely need. Uh, in, the, in the last 10 years or five years, um, how long have you started your company there, uh, Travis? We are about a year and a half old here at okay. uh, New Great Analytics. Yep. Yeah, so fairly new company. Uh, you're pushing forward on the economics and modeling and design side of the house. Uh, uh, solar power came into being about 10 years ago. Uh, do you recall? Were you studying uh, that technology at that time? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was at the, uh, the, the the National Renewable Energy Lab in uh, in 2010, and so uh, you know I've you know my career in the energy has sort of followed the you know the solar space that uh, you know I started with projects that were. Um, you know, I'd say that we almost modeled them on the back of a napkin. Um, they felt like <laughs> basically science experiments. And, uh, you know, now, you know, here we are today that they're, uh, you know, it's a commercial investment that uh, you can get financing for. And, and, you know, really, it's interesting, you know, in terms of solar, at least, most of the time we're talking about the finances of it. Everybody just assumes it works. You know, that's wow. not, you know, okay. it's, it's kind of not in question anymore that, uh, you know, it's going to work. How, how much money am I going to make or save from it? Well, that's interesting because, uh, you know, my question was, uh, you know, commercial application of driving the microgrid technology to increase. And as you said, I think uh, references uh, the expansion of that continues to today uh, where you have these conferences and the applications. There's numerous applications on the source of power in the, uh, the uh, generation effect that you need so everything can combine to satisfy the customer who needs the power at whatever peak time he's required so that's quite interesting as as the as you continue to uh to expand your business what are some of the challenge areas that you face or some of the challenge area the industry faces yeah it's a uh you know it's a good question um you know from our perspective you know we're we're data guys around here. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, basically we have a saying that uh, more data is always better. And so <laughs> it's, uh, and getting that data is somewhat, is sometimes challenging. Um, you know, right. for example, to be able to do a microgrid analysis, you know, we would ideally mm. like to have, you know, hourly or 15 minute interval data for the year. Um, you know, that's really, um, you know, basically we would like to know what the site used, the facility, be it a, you know, a school, a hospital, a military base, whatever we're talking about here. How did they use electricity over the last year? And so what was their demand during every 15 minute period? And so, you know, and you want this for a year because, you know, most of the U.S. has some sort of, and even most of the world has some sort of seasonal variation to it. And so you want to see how this varies over the season. Um, and of course, that's a lot of data. You know, that's, there's 35,000 data points um, uh, for 15, uh, 50, there's 35,000 15-minute intervals over the course of the year. Wow. And the, uh, the way that you need to get this is through some sort of interval meter. Um, and so, you know, advanced metering, um, you know, smart meter, you know, whatever you want to call it uh, is you can, there's, you know, various utilities have these that record that. But in many cases, they don't exist yet. And so, you know, we're really oftentimes dealing with, you know, we're data starved, that we're needing to make, um, you know, assumptions, we're needing to do modeling. And, you know, that all, it, it all introduces risk into the project that if you're trying to do a project based on model data, um, you know, it's, you know, it's not as accurate as if you had, um, you know, if you had, uh, you know, interval, real actual interval data. And so that's just one example, you know, of a case that, um, you know, being able to, you know, get there, um, have more data available where we can do, we can do feasibility analysis, you know, um, more efficiently and more accurately, um, you know, helps to, you know, push projects along. Yes. And, and as these projects develop, 
I, I, I'm, I'm guessing here, professional guess, that uh, everybody's very interested in the uh, technique. Well, you've said it. Uh, if you're doing solar, the, uh, the uh, producing solar and electricity is not in question. Is the value of it or the the benefit that the customer will receive from producing that and in, in ensuring that it can uh, meet all of its demand and sell to the net. Uh, so that 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 alone has change the landscape from my perspective and and uh, and i'm sure how about the innovators out there what do they see what do, you, what do you see new technology looking at or some areas that continue to be explored by the innovators there's a you know there's a number of uh you know there's of course a number of uh you know innovative companies that are uh, going after you know different aspects of this space you know perhaps you know, one that, um, you know, is, is not so much discussed outside of the circles of, of energy that, or, or that, you know, the guys are working in it is, you know, is the aspect of, of flow batteries. And I just mentioned that, you know, we don't have any, you know, connection to any uh, flow battery companies, but it's, it's very interesting because right now, mostly when you talk about, uh, you know, microgrids and energy storage and batteries, it's almost assumed that you're talking about lithium ion. Um, lithium mm. ion technologies and yeah. batteries are, you know, probably the most, um, you know, most common, right? Yes. But uh, you know, the uh, the flow battery guys have a, you know, they have an interesting, you know, it's an alternative technology that, uh, you know, is very scalable. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, there's some safety advantages to it in terms of, you know, uh, you know it, it, that you don't have with uh, avoids the, lithium, the issues yeah. of lithium ion yeah, um, yeah. and they have some cost benefits. And so, you know, if they're able to push this technology into a, uh, you know, be able to compete, you know, be able to lower prices, be able to, um, you know, be able to serve different applications, you know, that's a, uh, you know, that's another aspect um, that, uh, you know, that we don't see too much. And so, you know, I would probably say that, you know, we're pretty early, you know, in the process. And, um, you know, what, what will energy storage look like 10 years from now? You know, we're, we're really at the beginning. And so, you know, is lithium ion going to win out? Um, you know, it might. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't think that it's, you know, it's a, it's a guaranteed foregone conclusion yet. Wow. Well, that's a great story there, uh, Travis. Uh, folks, we're uh, discussing uh, energy now, the need for it today uh, with Dr. Travis Simpkins, an expert in design, modeling, economic optimization for renewable energy. We've gone through various uh, um, examples, uh, combined heat and power, uh, the, the activities between lithium batteries versus flow batteries. And when we come back, I'd like to ask uh, Travis how he got into this area of specialization. And he's been uh, a small business about a year's time. Okay, we're off to our next commercial break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Tune in every week for Envision with co-hosts Thomas Rosenberg and Ronnie Langer-Kroger. 
The show is all about building an inclusive and just future by connecting people with ideas. Connect with what's happening in your community, your country, and around the world as we speak with amazing guests who are fostering change and making their communities better. Envision is heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's Technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome, folks. We're talking uh, today about uh, energy now and the need for it today. I just uh, spent uh, about a week in Puerto Rico this uh, past week, and it's kind of interesting that uh, some of the folks still out of power there. And I researched, uh, you know, how many folks are out of power in the U.S. And the top five areas for outages this year, of course, Puerto Rico's number one because of Hurricane Maria just destroyed the grid, and they're redoing the grid. Georgia, Alabama, Florida, and Maryland are the next uh, four uh, key states in the U.S. alone. Uh, also of interest, the uh, Department of Energy, its ARPA-E summit was held on uh, March 13th and 15th. Um, the summit was talking about uh, how to uh, convene a forum for, forum for future energy innovation. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what was the results from that. And, uh, and of course, uh, those folks who were out of power. Before I left for Puerto Rico, I was out of power for three days. And you don't realize how much you need power until you miss it. And so it's quite interesting. Today's uh, guest is Dr. Travis Simpkins, an expert on in design, modeling, economic optimization of renewable energy systems. We've talked about um, the variety of power and the uses of power and, and the uh, combined effort of power that's used in agricultural, very uh, critical a discussion of uh, storage and the various types of batteries that are out there. And so I want to turn to Travis right now and say, Travis, how did you get started in this field? Because a lot of folks don't have, you know, the mentorship or, or maybe not even the ambition, but it seems like you were driven or your mentors have driven you in various pieces of that. 
and having a good mentor is always important. So, Travis, uh, tell us a little bit of how you got into this area of, of business and, and uh, developing your company that's less than a year old. It's a, yeah, it's been a, a interesting story. Um, um, so by training, um, I'm actually, uh, you know, back, my background's in integrated circuit design, um, VLSI. And so, um, you know, back in uh, grad school, I thought I was going to be a chip designer um, doing integrated circuits. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I you know, came out and I worked with my advisor's company for, uh, for a number of years. And, and uh, uh, long about, uh, you know, 2010, um, you know, there was, as you <laughs> I'm sure you guys, you remember and your listeners remember that the, uh, you know, we had a little bit of an economic downturn, we'll call it. And, uh, um, you know, by 2010, I was kind of looking for a change and, and, uh, uh, and, you know, what I should do next. And, you know, there was, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time uh, became my wife was out in Colorado and, and it turned out the National Renewable Energy Lab was, you know, was hiring. And, you know, I looked at it and said, well, gee, you know, I, uh, you know, uh, I could do, I do modeling, you know, for anybody that knows how chip design is done, it's all modeling and simulation. You know, by the time you send a chip to the fab, it pretty much, you know, you expect it to work because by the, you know, when it comes out, you know, there's really nothing you can do, you know, it either works or it doesn't work. And so we put tons and tons and tons of effort into simulating it every possible way to make sure that our design is, is basically perfect. And so I said, well, you know, can I translate those skills into energy? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, my expertise is really in modeling. I can, you know, model a lot of different things and, and, you know, and, and run the numbers and do analysis. And, you know, it turned out that, you know, that's exactly what the, uh, you know, the National Renewable Energy Lab was looking for at the time. Um, you know, they could see that, uh, you know, there was, they were getting a lot of funding, um, you know, from the Obama administration to, uh, you know, to advance solar, to advance renewables. And, you know, there was this vision that they needed to bring more science and rigorous analysis to this space. And so, you know, really that's, you know, that's what I came in there and did. I built uh, a lot of their modeling tools um, to be able to do, uh, you know, more sophisticated high-resolution analysis on these projects. Um, and, you know, in the process, um, you know, met a, a lot of great people, a lot of the, a lot of the guys that had been in this space, you know, for 20 years, um, there aren't that many, but many of them are in the labs, um, because they're the ones that were doing this, you know, they're the, they were the ones that were involved in solar projects back in the nineties in the early 2000s when nobody else was doing this. And wow. so, you know, I've been very fortunate to have those interactions with guys that, you know, have been in this space for a very long time and have that type of mentorship, which I really appreciate. And so then, um, you, know, you know, about a year and a half ago, I decided, hey, you know, I, you know I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Um, you know, that's really, you know, where, you know, my original, where my roots were, um, you know, is in small business and, and, and pushing new ideas and seeing what we can do and said, hey, you know, it's, it seems like a good time uh, to be able to, uh, you know, to start a company around, um, you know, being able to do microgrid optimization and, and see what happens in this space. And so, you know, in a nutshell, you know, that's where we are, uh, you know, where we are today. And, you know, we're pretty excited about the future. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, a lot of the kids get uh, disappointed as they go through school because uh, yeah, school may not be as interesting to them or whatever. And all I can tell you is uh, is keep up the challenge. Um, you can fill out your dreams and uh, keep pushing. I know sometimes it's difficult because of the peer pressure folks uh, have out there. But having a good mentor, uh, talk to your teachers. And uh, what kind of, uh, um, I guess, subjects would you recommend some of these folks and the audience out there take as they're interested in uh, studying or advancing in this field of uh, either microgrids or future energy production there, Travis? Well, I'm a big advocate of, uh, of technical education. Um, you know, I have a bunch of engineering degrees and, uh, you know, I think that it's, you know, you, you really can't go wrong. Um, that uh, the more uh, math and science that you take, it sets you up for really to be able to do a variety of different things, you know, with your career. And, of course, you know, I didn't, you know, you, you really, yeah, the best advice that I can give to, uh, to the kids today that are still in school is, is to be as well-rounded as you can because you don't know where your life is going to go. And, you know, I... Back in the early 2000s, let me tell you, no one was going into energy. Um, you know, renewable energy was, you know, it was not big business. It was a, uh, it was a niche. It was, um, and, you know, very, uh, you know, very small subset. You know, it wasn't really where the big jobs were. And so, you know, being able to have a solid, well-rounded education that you can pivot um, throughout your career into different fields that interest you, you know, is really key. And so, you know, it's, that's the, the math and the science, but, you know, I would also emphasize the data science, um, you know, being able to work with big data, being able to do analysis, not being afraid of numbers. Um, it's, you know, that's, that's where this field is right now is it's all numbers. Um, and, you know, of course, they, the, the, the companion to that is being able to program a little bit. You know, everybody knows that now that, uh, um, uh, that pretty much every math and science field involves, you know, being able to write some sort of code. It's almost being able to express yourself. And, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not advocating that everybody go be software engineers. You know, I think that that's, you know, that that's, you know, that's unnecessary. Um, just being yeah. able to, uh, you know, being able to write some code, to be able to analyze data. Um, you know, we have a need for that here at, at my company. Um, there's a, uh, there's a definitely a need at the labs. We could never get enough people that, you know, could, could be able to do analysis and, and, and write code on to analyze big data sets. So, you know, that's my, in a nutshell, and on the mentorship side is, yeah, absolutely, like you said, Jose, is, you know, seek out those connections, you know, whether they're, you know, professors, whether they're, uh, you know, industry leaders, um, you know, through internships and, and uh, you know, be volunteer to work on projects. You know, the more that you can say, hey, you know, I worked on this project with, you know, with somebody, it's, you know, that stuff opens doors, you know, very, very quickly. Yeah, I like to reach out to the, you know, to the, the audience who are, are thinking about, man, uh, I wish I, I knew a little bit more. I wish I could go back to study or I wish this. Uh, I can only say, go do it. Uh, today, it's not too late. And as you said, who would have thought, uh, you, you know, in your early education that you're doing the the, uh, the uh, energy consumption or the economic forecasting or modeling uh, that, you know, you picked up as early years? You would have never known that. I think everybody's career takes a turn. And I agree with you. Uh, broaden yourself. Get an interest of a little bit of everything and then just challenge because uh, as uh, the years go by, 
your particular career will change and it'll change for the better if you are able able to meet that challenge so i appreciate that uh, those words travis um I, I like to talk about the education because that's one area that I feel like, you know, from a U.S. perspective, we, uh, I, after doing the Grand Challenge, we always said we don't have enough engineers. Uh, you know, I guess academically we don't. Uh, you've got China, Russia, a lot, India uh, producing a lot of engineers. But I do believe one thing that the U.S. has that most countries don't have is that's the uh, innovators, the entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurs, excuse me, and those people who are willing to take a chance. And I think that's what makes American different uh, from any other country. We're willing to take that chance. It's that kid in the garage or the kid in the mom's bedroom or the kid, you know, doing something or the the, as a good friend of mine, Sal Fish, from uh, the CEO of, uh, of the Baja 1000, uh, you know, you get these uh, 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 wrench turners who just loved their sports or loved the, to work on cars. Uh, that When we did the Grand Challenge, the connection between the automobile industry, uh, the computer scientists, the geeks, I would call them, and the wrench turners, look at today. You've got autonomous vehicles coming out the door, and pretty soon it's going to be the norm. So keep studying out there. Don't lose your faith, and, uh, and uh, go look for for a mentor if you don't have a mentor. Um, so that's kind of my advice. Let's get back to the topic at hand, and that is energy now. Uh, where do you see this industry five or ten years from now, uh, Travis? We expect that five to ten years from now, this, the energy industry is going to look significantly different than it does today. Um, you know, the whole, uh, you know, wh- how we think about utilities is, is changing, um, as you start to have more and more distributed generation. And so there's a, a term that's being tossed around called prosumers, uh, mm-hmm. that uh, the idea that you are both a producer and a consumer of electricity. And so you're no longer just the endpoint on the electrical distribution network. You know, now that you just receive electricity, you know, in the future, you're going to be generating that. Um, you're going to have solar, you're going to probably have an electric vehicle in your garage that's going to interact with the grid. The battery, when you're not driving it, might be providing grid services and uh, to the grid. And so there's all of these opportunities that are opening up. And, you know, whether that's, you know, some of that's five years out, 10 years out, 20 years out, you know, we think that that's, you know, you know, I'm very confident that this is, you know, that this is underway and that it's it's going to happen. And the way that we get our electricity, we think about it, is going to change drastically. Wow, that's a major statement there. We've got a couple minutes left on the show there, uh, Travis. Anything else you want to add that we probably never covered or didn't ask you that you want to uh, lay out there? Uh, that was a very important point you said, uh, producer and consumer. So I'll, I'll turn the last word to you before I conclude. No, I just want to, uh, you know, thank you, Jose, for uh, for being on your show. It's been a uh, pleasure to uh, talk about this, these topics. You know, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, it, it comes across your listeners of just how uh, excited we are about the space and the opportunities here, um, you know, both uh, – you know, both domestically, we didn't talk really about international, but, um, you know, there's, you know, there's the, uh, the whole international side of this as well in terms of, you know, bringing clean, reliable power to, you know, some of the underdeveloped parts of the world um, and what that can do for them. And so we've got projects there as well. And so, 
you know, it's really, you know, some of this, some of this work is, you know, is honestly, it's game changing uh, in terms of, you know, where it's going to lead. And, and, you know, we here at MuGrid are excited to play a small part of that um, and, you know, see how we can help shape the industry. Uh, perfect. Well, uh, Dr. Travis Simpkins, our guest today, our topic today was energy now. I need more of it today. I think uh, I, I personally want to thank you, Travis, and I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to meeting you again when you come back to D.C. or our travel to Denver. Uh, for the audience out there, we covered a lot of topics today in the energy field. Uh, it is uh, a game changer. It is uh, something that will look differently uh, than it does today. So if you're interested in uh, this type of uh, technology development or studies, I suggest you uh, look it up. The agricultural business is changing uh, with the uh, combined uh, heat and power. Uh, battery production is changing as uh, as you see uh, Elon Musk and Tesla uh, constantly changing. Energy is changing all around us. And uh, anyway, I'd like to thank my audience for listening. We had a great show today. Our next show uh, is going to be talking about uh, uh, smartphones, cell phones, uh, you know, the AI business uh, of this uh, structure, the machine-to-machine type activity. I'd like to thank my uh, executive assistant. I caller 8-3, Alexander Loreno, for helping me set this show up, uh, for chasing Travis down and and uh, making sure that he would uh, attend. And I, I thank Travis for being here. We had a lot of fun. And until we talk again, uh, be safe out there and looking forward to our future discussion on T3, uh, on the Voice of America, on the Variety Channel, the leading technology show. This is Jose Negron, your host for T3. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week.